Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. As a kid, I would say that I like to spend the majority of my time inside. I wasn't what you would call an outdoors kid, and I guess if you've listened to this show long enough, that comes across. But I often did have to go outside, sometimes to do chores. One of the chores that my sisters and I had to do, especially during the summer, was yard work. And my sisters and I would go out and do weeding, planting, and mowing. All the while, my father would supervise, usually sitting in a chair. At some point, he would disappear, and after we were all done, we'd come inside and find him usually laying on the couch watching an old movie half asleep. I would try to get all of my chores done as quickly as possible. Usually this meant I didn't do a great job and would have to do them again, but I got good enough that I would get away with what I did. When I was done, I would go inside to get out of the sun. Now I couldn't change the channel on the TV, and I didn't want to disturb my half-sleeping father, so I would usually watch whatever was on, even if it was something I didn't really want to watch. This being a weekend afternoon, it was very often old westerns that were on TV, with people like Roy Rogers and Hopalong Cassidy, although sometimes it would be someone I recognize more, say like John Wayne. I didn't think this prepared me for anything in life, except for a basic understanding of movies and westerns, but years later, I'm watching HBO with my friend, and a new movie is premiering called Rustler's Rhapsody. It's a comedy, so we think it's going to be something like Blazing Saddles. And while it is a comedy, it is not really like Blazing Saddles. It has a very specific point of view. This movie is a takeoff on the westerns that I would sit in silence and watch rather than face the sun or get roped into more chores by my sisters. I got the jokes and found the film delightful because this genre was very familiar to me. My friends, who I would try to get to watch with me repeatedly, didn't think as highly of it as I did. So it became a kind of divisive movie. A delightful movie, but divisive amongst my friends. Like many things that some people find disappointing, it's based on expectations. My friends thought this movie was going to be Blazing Saddles, and Rustler's Rhapsody is very different from Blazing Saddles, but in some ways, I think better. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the 1985 Western comedy classic, Rustler's Rhapsody. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about its development, its production, its music, its release on home video, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Rustler's Rhapsody is a 1985 comedy. The film is a parody of earlier Western films, similar to what Blazing Saddles was, but it lacked some of the broader humor that you saw in Blazing Saddles. More specifically, it is a send-up of the singing cowboy films that were popular in the 30s and 40s. The film was directed by Hugh Wilson, who, when interviewed, said he was inspired to make it by being at CBS Studios, which is the former Republic Pictures backlot where a lot of these films were shot. The film stars Tom Berenger as the good guy, Rex O'Hurlihan, who is forced to fight another good guy, played by Patrick Wayne, who is the son of John Wayne. The film also stars G.W. Bailey, Fernando Ray, Andy Griffith, Mary Lou Henner, and Celia Ward. I'm going to introduce you to this film in two ways. One, I'm going to play the intro to the film, the narration, which is done by G.W. Bailey, who plays the sidekick in the film. And then I will read from the box of the film. Take it away, Peter. This is how every Rex O'Hurlihan movie ever made always started. It was the same every time. And they made 52 of them in all. Between the years 1938 and 1947. 1947 was the year the light sort of went out for Rex. Yeah, he never did much after that. Always made me kind of wonder what one of these B-Westerns would look like. You know, if they still made them today. this Paramount home video version of Rustler's Rhapsody, white box, some great photos on it. It's a nice looking box, but it has a good description. Tumblin' tumbleweeds, the Wild West goes wacko when the greatest, fast-drawn, fast-dressing, silver-spurred, guitar-playing, singer-cowboy-movie matinee idol Rex O'Hurlihan, Tom Berenger, hits the saddle in Rustler's Rhapsody, a cockeyed, affectionate send-up of the 40s B-movie western. Classic Western stereotypes and cliches get turned on their ear when our fearless hero, fully dressed in white and atop his dancing horse, Wildflower, rides into the tackiest town west of the Pecos to do good deeds and defy desperados. Written and directed by Hugh Wilson, who was responsible for the hilarious Police Academy, Rustler's Rhapsody also stars Andy Griffith and Mary Lou Henner. Now that gives you a little bit of an overview, but I'd like to go deeper into the plot to remind people who haven't seen it in a while. If you haven't seen the film yet, I suggest you check it out before listening to this show. The whole idea of the film is looking at these old films and wondering what one of those films would look like if it was made today. They even say that in the film. So we get this character, Rex O'Hurlihan, played by Tom Berenger, who is aware of what the plot is going to be of the film. He knows the future because everything has always been the same. The good guy comes into town, he faces off against the bad guy, who's usually rich for some reason, and then when he wins, he rides out of town again. Rex comes into a town called Oakwood Estates with his dancing horse Wildfire, really great character, and he meets the town drunk Peter, and Peter explains everything about this town that he's come into. It's being terrorized by Colonel Ticonderoga, played by Andy Griffith. There's the corrupt sheriff who takes orders from the colonel. There's the prostitute with the heart of gold. None of these things seem to surprise Rex. He's seen it all. But Peter doesn't really get it. How does Rex know all these things? Not 
everything could be the same. And so you get this meta story being told of Peter wanting to be the sidekick and Rex kind of taking him on, maybe humoring him. But this is all going to play out exactly the same as it did before. But there's a new wrinkle because the colonel hires a good guy to drive Rex out of town. And as I said, this good guy is played by John Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne, and the whole thing gets very confusing for Rex. What plays out throughout the film is a takeoff of the details that you would see in a Western from that era, but in a more self-aware fashion. Of course, as it turns out, things might be different here, but they're not. Because the good guy that Patrick Wayne plays maybe isn't a good guy after all, and in the end, Rex is triumphant. Now, it's not clear why Rex knows everything. It's just a conceit of the film. Some people have speculated that he gets the ability to see everything because he's kind of taking drugs throughout the film. He eats roots in the film that he goes and digs up when he's out by his campsite. He has a great campsite, by the way. A beautiful wardrobe, everything really nicely done, and everything very well organized. He spends a lot of time picking out his outfits. But he also likes to chew on these roots that are supposed to be some sort of drug. Not sure exactly what they are supposed to be. Do they give him insight? It's hard to know. Or maybe it's just a running joke. The vegetable that they used in place, so the thing that they're digging up, were actually sweet potatoes. So when you see them digging things up, they're actually sweet potatoes in the film. Are you a fan of the Retroist podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retroist Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. The film was written and directed by Hugh Hamilton Wilson Jr. Wilson was born in 1943. He passed away in 2018. Was a director, writer, TV showrunner. Probably best known for two things as the creator of WKRP in Cincinnati and the film Police Academy. He didn't start in film. He actually worked at an advertising agency in Atlanta when he was younger, becoming a copywriter and eventually creative director. He would then go on to work at Mary Tyler Moore Enterprises in 1975, and his first writing assignment was working on the Bob Newhart show. He would make the move to the Tony Randall show and eventually create WKRP in Cincinnati, which ran from 78 to 82. He wanted to get into movies, and he agreed to rewrite a low-budget comedy if he would get to direct it. That movie would be the first Police Academy movie. Because it was a hit, he kind of had the ability to do what he wanted to, and the thing he decided to do was Rustler's Rhapsody. He had grown up watching a lot of these films when he was young and really loved them. And so this is a love letter through the medium that he was familiar with, comedy. After this film, which didn't do great, he would continue to work, returning to TV, working on Frank's Place and The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. He would also create the famous Teddy Z and direct movies like Guarding Tests and Blast from the Past. Still, his two biggest films, though, were box office surprises, Police Academy, which I mentioned, and The First Wives Club, which would go on to make a lot of money. He expended a lot of his capital on this film. Police Academy was a hit. He could have done anything. He chooses to write and direct this one. And it's not a weird thing to have made a Western. There was this brief revival of Westerns in the 80s with movies like Pale Rider, Silverado, and another comedy, Lust in the Dust. According to Wilson in an interview, This isn't really a send-up. We're playing it very straight. We love those old films, and we're really trying to say something about them. Like, how can the hero keep changing his shirt? Which is a great question, and you get to see it in this film. 
Weirdly, Wilson said he wanted George Gaines, who you might know from both Police Academy and Punky Brewster. And I'm not saying he's not a great actor. He's just a little older to play the lead role of Rex O'Herlihan. Would have been a very different film had they chosen him. The West, it was ugly. I smell shit. All right, that'll be enough of that talk. Want to be a sidekick? You gotta learn the ropes. And load down mean. Very good. Thank you, Hammer. But at least... You knew where you stood. Either you get your rifle and come with me, or I'll shoot your wife in the shoulder. From the director of Police Academy, Tom Berenger in Rustler's Rhapsody. Ready to Starts tomorrow at a theater near you. Check newspapers. According to Variety, principal photography began in September of 84, and shooting took place in Almeria, Spain, through October of 84. And if you're a fan of westerns that were shot in Europe, like the Sergio Leone films, those were shot in the same area. Even the set that you see in there that plays Oakwood Estates was built for the purpose of the spaghetti westerns that were shot in the 60s. But by the time they had gotten around to making this film, it had been over a decade since it had been used. Now a little bit about the cast of the film. Tom Berenger played Rex O'Herlihan. Tom Berenger, born Thomas Michael Moore in 1949, is a talented actor who was nominated for the Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Bob Barnes in Platoon in 86. But he's had lots of roles in lots of very well-respected films. I'm a big fan of Major League, but he's also in The Big Chill, Eddie and the Cruisers, Gettysburg, The Substitute, that's a fun film, Training Day, and Inception, amongst dozens of others. He does a great job playing Rex O'Herlihan. He plays him really straight, and it works very well. G.W. Bailey played Peter George William Bailey, was born in 1944. He's appeared in lots of movies, including dramas and comedies. He was Luther Rizzo on M.A.S.H., then he was in the Police Academy films as Captain Harris. He was also Felix Maxwell in Mannequin. Then in the 2000s, he would play Lieutenant Louis Provenza in The Closer and its spinoff Major Crimes. So continuing to work nonstop. Great character actor. While Tom Berenger is good in this film, it's G.W. Bailey who steals scenes as Peter. That might be that he has the best lines, but Bailey sells it. He looks surprised at things, and yet he's so earnest about how he's going to do things. He also has a great outfit. It's an homage to another sidekick, Smiley Burnett, who played against people like Gene Autry and Roy Rogers. That's where you get that checkered shirt with the black hat with the brim turned up. Mary Lou Henner played Miss Tracy, the prostitute with the heart of gold. Mary Lou Henner was born in 1952, was in the original Broadway production of the musical Grease in 1971, and would make her film debut in 1977 in the film Between the Lines. But it's probably for TV that she's best known, where she played Elaine Nardo in Taxi, a role she played until 1983, and one for which she would receive five Golden Globe Award nominations. But she would continue to work in films like L.A. Story, Noises Off, Johnny Dangerously, another great film, Cannonball Run 2, amongst others. Cela Ward played the Colonel's daughter. Cela Ann Ward is a very well-respected actor, producer, and author. Her big role was in 91 on the TV show Sisters, where she played Teddy Reed. She would receive her first Emmy Award for lead actress in a drama series for that. 
She would get a second one for the role of Lily Manning in the ABC show Once and Again. But she would continue to work. She was also in movies like The Day After Tomorrow, My Fellow Americans, Hello Again, Nothing in Common, and The Fugitive. She's really good in this role in that she is very subtle. She doesn't go broad. She keeps it real straight. And it really works. She's believable in the role, which is fun to say for a comedy. Andy Griffith, yes, the Andy Griffith, played Colonel Ticonderoga. Andy Samuel Griffith was born in 1926, passed away in 2012. He's an iconic actor and comedian, singer, writer, worked for seven decades, known for his folksy personality, breaking through with movies like A Face in the Crowd and No Time for Sergeants. He would be better known for two roles, Andy Taylor in The Andy Griffith Show and Ben Matlock, which he played from 1986 to 1995. Fernando Rey played the railroad colonel. Fernando Rey was born in 1917, passed away in March of 94. Theater, film, and television actor, worked both in the U.S. and Europe. For American audiences, he might be best known for his work in The French Connection and French Connection 2, although he would appear in over 150 films. Another great get for this film to add some gravity to the role. But he has fun with the role. Patrick Wayne played Bob Barber, the other, quote, good guy. Patrick John Morrison, better known by his stage name, Patrick Wayne, is the son of movie star John Wayne and his first wife, Josephine Alicia Sains. He would work with his father on 11 films, but total he would make over 40. He was not the original person to get this role. I can't find who it was, although I've tried to look around, but whoever it was who was hired to play this role, the producers weren't happy with it. And so Patrick Wayne was brought aboard, and he is very happy with this role. He describes it as probably the best acting I've done on film. And I'd say he does a great job. He did all of his shooting in four days, starting his work on Saturday and finishing on Tuesday. So he's not there for very long, but he makes an impression. Rounding out the cast, you had Brand Van Hoffman as Jim, Christopher Malcolm as Judd, Jim Carter as Blackie, another great actor. Carter has gone on to make tons of things to a lot of modern people. They probably know him from his work on Downton Abbey. Paul Maxwell as a sheep herder, Billy Mitchell as the town doctor, John Orchard as the town sheriff, and many more. Hero everyone's been waiting for. He's coming! And he's standing in the saddle! Standing in the saddle? He's Rex O'Hurlihan, the singing cowboy. He put the wild in the wild, wild west. Have a large glass of warm gin served with the human hair in it. Coming up. You'll find him in Rustler's Rhapsody, a Paramount National pay cable exclusive you won't see on HBO or Cinemax. There's action. Don't just stand there, boys. Get him. Now! Romance. Most men I know only have one gun. Huh? Oh. Want to be a sidekick? You gotta learn the ropes. Brills. Good. Very good. Thank you, Harry. And drama. Either you get your rifle and come with me, or I'll shoot your wife in the shoulder. Tom Berenger stars in Rustler's Rhapsody, part of Showtime Salute's American comedy in April. Music in the movie was put together by Stephen Hartley Dorff. He is an American songwriter and composer. Although his specialty is country music, he's worked in lots of different genres. For people who listen to this show, he's probably going to be best known as the person who wrote the music for As Long As We Got Each Other from the sitcom Growing Pains, which he wrote with John Bettis, a person he would collaborate with on other things, including a sort of less-known TV show from the late 80s, Free Spirit, which I'm also a fan of, and recently started watching again. 
but he would work on films like Pink Cadillac, Back to the Beach, Honky Tonk Man, and Blast from the Past. He had some bona fides to do a Western film. He had previously composed music for films like Waltz Across Texas and The Honky Tonk Man, but this film was his first score for an actual pure Western. Those other two were set in modern times, but had Western themes. The soundtrack was released on record and cassette, and if you're a fan, the LP is actually reasonably priced if you want to pick it up. There are 10 songs. Side 1 has Lasso the Moon, I Break the Horses, Not Hearts, I Ride Alone, Great Song, Crumbling Stumbleweeds, Lasso the Moon, the instrumental version. Then on side B, you have Sidewinder's Symphony, Prairie Rose, Bull Rider, the instrumental of I Break Horses, Not Hearts. And finally, another good song, Last of the Silver Screen Cowboys. You can find the soundtrack. It's a pretty good looking album. Brown with brands on it. Has a couple pictures on the back. A nice cover with Tom Berger on the front. So I saw this film on cable TV for the first time. Didn't see it in the theater. But I have printed out what was playing in my neck of the woods when this movie came out. And at this point, we had a fourplex and a sixplex in our town. At the fourplex, you had just one of the guys, which I had gone and seen, Code of Silence, Rappin', and Dungeon Master. And then at the sixplex, you had Witness, Police Academy 2, so up against the sequel to his original film, Gotcha, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Rustler's Rhapsody, and Desperately Seeking Susan. My sister would take me to see a few films this year because I remember seeing some of these films in the theater. She did not like westerns, still doesn't, so that would explain probably why I didn't get to see Rustler's Rhapsody in the theater. Looking at the ads in the paper at this time, Russell's Rhapsody actually has the largest ad of all of them. After that would be Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Rappin', and Just One of the Guys. So they were promoting this. Oh, there's a great ad for the Dungeon Master. He is the overlord of strange beasts and stolen souls. Oh, that's irresistible. There's an adorable ad for the Care Bear movie as well. So they were promoting this, trying to push it. Lou Luminick, who was our local reviewer, Lou seems a bit conflicted. There's things about the film he likes, especially the performances, doing special call-outs for Berenger and Patrick Wayne, although he says that there could have been a lot more jokes in the film, and points out that the film was actually edited down at the behest of the studio. So perhaps there was more to the film than we get to see, and there hasn't been a director's cut that I've been able to find. His call-out quote is, The campy, droll humor is a lot closer to Gore Vidal's Myra Breckenridge than Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, the box office champ of the genre. And this fits really well into what I'm saying about the film. You had this expectation that this is going to be Blazing Saddles. They even promoted it like it was going to be Blazing Saddles, but it was something else. And when you have that sort of setup, people might be a little disappointed. And some people were pretty disappointed in it. The ones who compared it to Blazing Saddles said it paled in comparison. Although some, like Vincent Canby at the New York Times, said it was genuinely funny. The Los Angeles Times called it a joy. Then you go to the Chicago Tribune who said it's a parody that's looking for a good joke. These bad reviews led to the film getting a nomination for a Golden Raspberry Award, which is this award that I think is cruel for Mary Lou Henner. Fortunately, she lost that Razzie to Bridget Nielsen, who was in Rocky IV at the time. He's coming! I'm quick, Carl! I do everything fast! It's Marathon John! Can't eat a marathon candy bar fast quick, Carl. It lasts a good long time. I'll show you. Chocolate. And caramel. And chewy. I told you. Nobody eats a marathon quick, Carl. 
A marathon bar lasts a good long time. While the film wasn't a blockbuster, it did just about make its money back, probably with advertising, not so much. But it had a $5.5 million budget and made almost $6.1 million. But the film would do well when it got to cable television and home video. It was in regular rotation on HBO, and eventually when it got onto basic cable, they would play it frequently. It was released on VHS in 85 and was a fairly popular rental in my town. It would then get re-released in 92. And I knew when I was working at the video store when either somebody rented it or when I worked at Suncoast, somebody bought it, that they were a person I could get along with. Eventually, it would find its way to Laserdisc and a DVD release in 2004. And currently, if you want to watch it, you could rent or buy it on multiple digital platforms. If you're looking to get a VHS copy and you live in Australia, CIC Video released a clamshell box edition of it from Australia. It's a great-looking white box with Rex standing on his horse. I am very jealous of people who own that version. I really enjoy Rustler's Rhapsody. It's not a masterpiece, but if you're a fan of the genre or appreciate this type of film, you're in for a lot of fun. Wilson knew what he was doing. He's obviously a fan and a student of these types of movies, and they make a spoof that works without being a ripoff of Blazing Saddles. At the same time, you can also feel the affection for the subject matter. We're currently at a low point in comedies being made for the big screen. That'll probably turn around at some point, and I hope when they do return to the screen, they let people take creative chances, and that people are brave enough when they have those chances to try something that they want to see done. And if it's a satire of a genre that people don't really understand anymore or haven't seen in a while, more power to them. They might not make a ton of money, but they stand out for being different than other things that had been created. So if you're looking for something fun to watch, you want to see some great performances, get a couple of laughs, why not check out Rustler's Rhapsody? I think you'll be glad you did. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. On social media, you can find me at Retroist on most of the major platforms. Music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixelate. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. If you want to support the show, you could do so by giving the show a five-star review wherever you download it. It's really those five-star reviews that help people find the show, and I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, The Retroist is on Patreon at patreon.com retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to The Retroist Discord, the coolest retro community on the internet. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. way a person dresses is nobody's business but his or her own. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.